Welcome to Get It Done Entrepreneurs, where we talk with founders of companies who bet on themselves and won. My name is Rich Lebrun, and I am the founder and CEO of Lebrun Advisory Group. You can find us at rlebrun.com. Our mission is to help our clients build wealth through business ownership. Stick around to the end of the show, and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Our special guest today is Roman Scharf. Roman is the founder and CEO of Luxury Bazaar. Roman has worked from his basement selling high-end watches on eBay and grew the company into a huge success it is today with over 40 employees, 25,000 square foot facility, and get this, over $130 million in sales per year. With business savvy and financial acumen, which he acquired in equal parts from his executive role in a multinational bank and from menial jobs of his youth, Roman has created a powerhouse in the watch and jewelry wholesale and retail business. He learned the nuts and bolts of how the business works, how to sell, how to inspire and lead people, how to scale business and how to grow profit. Roman is not all business and no play. Family comes first and Roman enjoys spending time with his wife and three children above all things. He also loves participating in charity and giving back is also important to Roman. Last but not least, Roman is a veteran of the U.S. Army and also attended Penn State. With that said, I want to welcome my guest, Roman. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for such a great intro. <laughs> yeah, well, you have a lot of things going in life. It's hard to get everything condensed here. but uh, It is difficult. Yeah, a lot of things I could just dive into. One thing I just have to ask you, this is... You gave me some topics we could talk about, which we had talked pre-show, but you had gave me some specifics like horology. Like, what is horology? Just this curiosity. Horology is the science of telling time. It's been around since time has began, if you will. Measuring time is something that humans have tried to do for thousands upon thousands of years until they got it down to what I believe is perfection at this point with these small mechanical wonders, which is the products that I sell and those of watches. Right. Well, I thought that was appropriate, right, for your business. Um, this is going to be a great conversation from my side. I'm really excited. I got a chance to watch your YouTube videos and read up a little bit about you. You got some exciting things, and your watches are beautiful. Uh, and so uh, we'll definitely get a chance to tell our listeners where they can get in touch with you and find more about you. But in the meantime, what our listeners really want to know is your story. Okay, you have a great background, a lot of... Uh, growth and a lot of history and, and building such a successful company today. So tell us a little about your story, but ultimately want to get to what caused you to go all in? What was How was that decision-making process? Did you have you know, naysayers around you? Were you forced into that industry, into that decision? Whatever it took, you ultimately made the decision to go all in and here you are, a success story. So, uh, Take, you know, feel free. Tell us tell us your story. Well, I'll, I'll quickly go through my early years. And uh, I guess I should start with the fact that I was born and raised in the Soviet Union, uh, a place that was not too friendly, let's just say. Certainly not one that gave you opportunity for free enterprise, which is what we have here in the United States. But uh, I, I was I just shouldn't say I left that country, but my father took me away from that country at the age of 13. And we landed in Brooklyn, New York in a 400 square foot apartment. Uh, wasn't I slept in a bunk bed with my sister in the kitchen. Uh, the apartment was pretty tiny. It was a one-room apartment. And uh, from there, it was every job under the sun. Uh, the minute that I landed, I started with 
delivering newspapers, working as a busboy dishwasher. I worked in construction. I worked in roofing. I drove a bagel truck. I worked in telemarketing. I've done every job under the sun. You name it, I probably have done it. I even drove a bagel truck, believe it or not. Uh, with that said, uh, it brought me to my high school graduation. And upon my high school graduation, I wanted to join the military for one simple reason. I was in a country with which I fell in love. And I became a patriot of this country simply because of where I came from and the freedom this country allowed me. And I felt that it was not only my one, it was my duty to join the military, which is exactly what I did. I joined the military. I was in the military for about three years. I did my time. I never planned on staying the entire time. I wanted to do my three years. I was a scout, or I think it's called a forward observer now, which was an interesting job in the military. My average life expectancy was about 30 seconds of battle where to start. Okay. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough not to see battle while I was in the military, although like every other Army guy, I wanted to. But uh, uh, after I got out, I went on to Penn State to learn uh, electrical engineering and computer science. I took a fond, uh, I took a liking to com the computer side, of the science side of things. And at the time, it was good. It was leading up to the year 2000 where computer jobs were in demand. And I landed myself uh, uh, in a banking industry leading all the way out to my last stunt at uh, Deutsche Bank, where I was, uh, I became pretty successful pretty quick. I was a VP by the age of 26. And uh, it was around that time where 9-11 happened. And I was in New York City when 9-11 happened. In fact, our mm -hmm. offices were in Wall Street Center 4, as well as uh, 130 Liberty Place. Neither okay. one of those buildings exists today. Uh, with that said, uh, post that, economy went down, and I literally saw uh, every other person on my floor get let go. I never blamed the company. It was a business decision. I clearly understood that. They let go about 15% of the company at the time. And for a company that employed 120,000 people, you could imagine how many people that is. I'm sure you can quickly do the math. Yeah. Uh, at the same token, I was given an opportunity by a gentleman that approached me and simply said, hey, Roman, you know all this computer stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's a bit of an understatement. And at the time, the internet was booming. E-commerce started to uh, be born, uh, specifically eBay eBay was a big to-do. People started to sell cars on eBay along with other expensive things. And he basically said, hey, I have the stuff. If you can figure it out, I'll gladly consign it to you. Put it online and see if it'll sell, to which I said, I think it's a terrible idea. Of course, I was lucky enough to have a woman by my side. Her name is Anna. That's my wife of now. Actually, this December will be 20 years. Uh, who said, I think it's a good idea. I think you should try it. Uh, at the time, she was pregnant with my son. She was about six months pregnant. She started helping me out. And then... Uh, uh, once my son was born, I was actually working two jobs for about almost three years. I commuted to New York City two hours each way, so a four-hour commute daily. A pretty demanding job. I worked with a team. My team was in Singapore, so we were 12 hours apart. So my afternoon meetings took place at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but yet at the same token, I ran this basement operation we called Luxury Bazaar. And after about three years, once I saw, going back to what I said, when I saw people starting to get let go, because it was simply a business decision, that's the one thing that pushed me to go all in for myself. Because I said, if I'm going to mess up, if I'm going to lose a job or a business or an income, it's going to be on me, not just on a business decision that somebody who I have never met has made and let go of about 15,000 people. So that was the one decision that pushed me uh, to go and all in and work for myself. And the rest of the city's history, as, in your, as you said in your intro, I do employ quite a few people uh, this year, we're on target to hit about 165 million in sales, and uh, life is good. Life is good. Okay, so let's go back to that 
that moment you 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 obviously had all the work ethic you, you know you needed you were driven from a very young age to to work hard uh, you got a chance to see corporate America. I saw somebody come in, you know, just make some random decisions, as we say in corporate America, just going to cut 50% of our workforce uh, with not a lot of thought behind it, other than maybe watching the bottom line. But nonetheless, going all in, still betting on yourself. Okay. And uh, any uh, doubts, fears? Uh, do you have a lot of support? Do you have naysayers around? You think you're crazy? Uh, I uh, I didn't have any naysayers. Again, I was lucky enough to have a woman by my side that supported me in what I wanted to do. Was there a doubt? No. Was there fear? Yes. Because at the time, I was a new father. Just to give you the dynamic there, uh, my wife was not working. Uh, I had a newborn son. We just bought a new house. I went for my bachelor pad. I had a condo. We moved into a bigger house that was more su suited for family, if you will. And here I am at a crossroads. And I, I started actually, believe it or not, looking at other jobs in my field. And I felt zero motivation. That was sort of that back, that feeling that I got that like, I'm not going to enjoy doing this. I already proved what I needed to prove within the corporate world, working as hard as I can, 80 hour work weeks, right? So I said, the only thing I was afraid of is the fact that the support of my, now my family is not just me, right? If it's you, it's you. But when you have a wife and a child as well, that sort of puts things in a different perspective. And that's where some of the fear came in. But I, at the same token, I knew that if I have to work triple as hard and work, you know, 26 hours a day, I know I'm willing to do that and go all in. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a good motivation. <laughs> Your family comes home and say, we're hungry. So uh, get back out there and work. Okay, but watches. Okay, you you went, you went had a history of a lot of different types of jobs. You call them menial jobs to, to people in the banking industry. But you mentioned about passion about watches, and that's your company. So let's let's talk a little bit, talk about your company, and then this whole idea about your passion behind watches. Your watches are just beautiful. So, so one of the things I'm a big fan of is uh, outside of horology is also history, and with horology comes a lot of history. My personal favorite topic is American history. I'm a big patriot of this country, but with horology, that history expands back centuries, right? And being an engineer by trade. One of the things that attracted me most about watches is that here you have this tiny little mechanism that is able to tell you the date, the time, the day of the week, what month it is, where the moon phase may be. And I'm talking about a perpetual calendar for those that may not understand that. And it will also even tell you the leap year and all that without a little guy behind a computer sitting inside there without a battery, fully mechanical. As an engineer, you appreciate things, all things that are mechanical, all things that work without a power source. And especially when you talk about a watch that can power itself as it moves, as the rotor moves. So first, it was the mechanical side of things. Second is the historical side of things. And third, and not least, is luxury, right? Luxury has always fascinated me. As a kid growing up, I've seen luxury on the outside. I've seen it on TV. I saw fancy cars and fancy watches and gold wallets and all those things, all while my father came here with $4 in his pocket, right? Mm -hmm. So luxury is something that has always driven me, but it wasn't the material side of things. It was the lifestyle side of things. And that lifestyle is indeed what I'm able to provide to my family. What I translate money to is some of the charity work that I'm able to do, as well as the lifestyle that I can provide for my family. And that's really what has always driven me. But the luxury glitz and glamour side of things have fascinated me since I was a child, simply because I didn't have anything. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Now you're in a retail business, and the only time I mention retail business, you get a lot of different thoughts going in people's minds. Like retail's dead, you know, maybe it's a bricks and mortar that's dead. It's you know, e-commerce. You're selling a high-end luxury product, and are you selling it all online, or is this also? Do you it have all, it is all online. Uh, everything we have is done virtually. Now, do people come visit us here in Southampton? Yes, as of late, a lot more due to the exposure we've given ourselves on the YouTube channel that we're running, but. Uh, plus it's, I am a mixture of an IT shop and a retail store or, or an online store because we're all about systems here, right? I come from an IT background, so it's all about automation. It's all about IT first and foremost, but at the same token, we're a retail operation. So, uh, I've never wanted a brick and mortar store. Uh, I felt that it's a lot more efficient to do things online. It's a lot faster and you can do much more than an average brick and mortar store. Well, I'm yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, I look at some of the prices on your watches. They range. I don't know what's your most what's your most expensive watch. The most expensive watch I currently have in stock is two million dollars, and the okay, least so, expensive watch I have in stock is probably fifty dollars. So you're telling me someone's going to buy a two million dollar watch online? I can, I can tell you that last week we sold a two point one million dollar watch and the week before one point eight million dollar watch. I know it takes people are shocked as to how much money people will spend on certain things, but I will tell you this. Um, there's an ask for every seat, as they say, right? And once uh, people have different passions, right? Yeah. People collect, buy collectible cars. I don't know if you watched Monterey last week, but there were cars that fetched uh, in double digits in the millions of somebody's yeah. cars that people have bought. A friend of mine that bought an Elvis Presley piano for $900,000. When I asked him why, he said pride of ownership, right? You're Things sure. are very relevant on a scale of uh, what you can afford, if you will. Tell my clients the same thing, buy what you like first and foremost within the means that you can afford. So a lot of things are relevant to one, a $100,000 car is a complete dream to another, it's an everyday driver, right? It's yeah. all a question where people want to park their hard-earned money. Yeah, well, you've proven it. So all your listeners out there who say you can't buy things on e-commerce, there you go. Roman's going to... Romans proved that you can buy very high-end luxury things. My first, my first watch that we sold on eBay, if you go to our eBay store and you scroll back a thousand pages in our feedback, you'll see the very first watch I sold on eBay was an Audemars Piguet Royal City of Sales, which may not mean anything to anyone. We sold that watch for $9,750 to a guy in Germany, believe it or not, that bought it online, paid us via bank wire, received this watch. It was very, very happy. I was completely and utterly shocked when that happened. <laughs> And of course, my wife was right there to tell me, I told you so. <laughs> of course. There you go. Love it. Okay. I'm going to drift a little bit here because in my study and getting ready for this interview, I was watching your YouTube and you are a high energy guy. And uh, and you have this thing called gray market challenge, if I got it correct. Right. So I want to drift a little bit, just give you a chance to share to our audience and they can see it on YouTube. But tell us what that is, why you're doing it. It seems like so much fun. So I, I have a heavy hand in marketing when it comes to my company. I have a very young, talented CMO, chief marketing officer here uh, that approached me about three years ago and said, listen, we need a face of the company. I want you to pick up a camera, start talking and share your knowledge and experience in watches. And I started doing exactly that. I started basically showing people the products that we sell, telling them the history behind them, the mechanics behind them, as well as what the market values may be. Right? People want to hear that. People love hearing how much. Right. Uh, by doing so, I then created a show called Q&A, for obvious reasons, where people ask me questions and I respond to those questions. That took off quite well. Of course, like anything else on the internet, things get stale. A talking head can get stale real quick. And uh, 
Avi approached me then once again. I said, listen, what do you think about creating a show called Gray Market? And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, we're simply going to turn on the cameras, get them rolling, and show people the inner workings, kind of like a reality TV show, of what goes on in a company such as ours. And the goal was, uh, in the beginning, to say we're going to take a show you what it takes to take a $100 million company a year, which is what we were at the time, to a $300 million company. And my answer to him was absolutely not. And said, I'm not showing people the inner workings of my company, my everyday all to do, and people walking around and, you know, sometimes cursing or whatever it might be. He said, well, we need to do that. And I said, no. Later on, fast forward, another competitor out of Dallas started doing a day in the life, doing exactly that. He ran into my office screaming and yelling and said, Roman, I'm turning on the cameras on Monday and the show Gray Market was born. We're just finishing up season three of Gray Market. There are about 20 episodes each. And season four is going to be exciting because we're doing, I guess, we couldn't really call it The Apprentice, right? If you remember the good old show. Yeah, sure. But we've gotten such, we've gained such popularity and such a following that people, you know, are literally emailing me, sending me Instagram messages and a hundred times a day wanting to come work here. So we decided to give young and old guys out there a chance to get into this business and basically ran a challenge. We're going to take flying four people and all four of them are going to work out in our sales department and prove to us that they're going to be the next gray market dealer. And by gray market, just to explain, gray market, we're not an official authorized dealer. We're not a brick and mortar store. We don't buy all the stuff directly from uh, the manufacturers. We buy it on the secondary market and sell it on the secondary market. Hence the negative term gray market, but we managed to turn it into a very positive term. And just this morning, we were reviewing close to 100 submission videos of people that want to come work here. And they're willing to fly in as far as Switzerland and uh, Texas and California and as local as here in Philadelphia. It should be an interesting time come a couple of weeks from now. Fantastic. Well, again, it looked like fun. So I know all the listeners, uh, you can find him on his YouTube station. Watch some of those videos. They're very exciting and, and inspiring, by the way. There's some good thinking. You know, Kudos to your marketing person. So uh, Thank you. And kudos to you for listening. Um, so a little bit back to the story and looking back at that tipping point. If you look back now, how long have you been in business? How long have you? 20 years. 20 years. Uh, my business, my son is 19 years old and my wife was pregnant with him when the business was born. So it's actually very easy to calculate. Okay, good good way to memorize things. Uh, but looking back, would you have done anything different knowing what you know today? You know, whenever someone is asked that question, there's a million things I would have done differently, you know? because you tend to learn from your mistakes. So long as you're not afraid to make mistakes and learn from them, you're doing well. If somebody tells you they haven't made mistakes and they wouldn't do anything differently, uh, they're lying to you. There's plenty of things I would have done different that are business related. Uh, however, if I go back to that particular tipping point, I would do it again 10 times over because any entrepreneur out there that works for himself, whether you are a single man operation and have a team of 500 people, will tell you the same thing over and over. Once you start working for yourself, there's no going back. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to flip the coin on that. Um, any key decision that you think you made that had the biggest impact on your business for success? Uh, yes. Uh, there was uh, a key decision that had a negative impact, and that's about uh, 10 years into the business, I decided to steer my business towards wholesale. My, my industry, wholesale, doesn't necessarily mean I'm selling these watches in bulk or 100 at a time. It simply means that we're doing more B2B business than we are doing uh, B2C. And uh, what that allowed me to do is it allowed me to scale my company, larger numbers, larger profits, uh, larger revenue. But at the same token, it took me away from building a product as a whole. LuxuryBazaar.com is a product. 
It was built as a product. It was a built as a retail facing company and it was steered away into wholesale. The positive note is that again, it allowed me to get to those revenues in up to $100 million a year. The negative side of it is it's a business that's completely dependent on the owner and key figures within the business, not a product that's sellable or scalable. And right before COVID, I made the decision to go back. And that was the biggest decision that I've made. Uh, it allowed me a short amount of time to flip my business from B2B to B2C. It allowed me to create a product. It allows me to step away and the company will run itself. And it potentially allowed me to do uh, what my ultimate goal is, and that is to create a product that's sellable as a whole. And that's the goal we're working towards over the next five years. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, that kind of leads me into this. I'm going to flip the whole story here. Uh, today, we are facing um, recession. We're facing labor, uh, supply chain, potential war. We got a whole bunch of crazy things going on, political stuff going on, elections. How are you navigating today's time as the CEO of your company? You know, it's funny. I mean, I'll go back to the fact that I got through the crisis of 2008 and I walked away fairly unscathed because luckily my business wasn't that big at the time, right? Not as many employees, not as big of an exposure, unlike today. Uh, don't want to get into how much my monthly nut is to run this place, but uh, let's say it's significant. So, um, First of all, about the war in Ukraine, I come from Ukraine originally, even though it was Soviet Union, but I was born and raised in Odessa, Ukraine. And, uh, and it's it hurts me to see my home country being bombed, if you will. Sure. What's happening in the world is absolutely terrible. And never in my wildest years, I would imagine something like this could happen in a civilized country in the year 2022. Uh, in terms of economy, I've always kept my eye on the economy. Stock market does affect our business. If your stock portfolio went from $100 million to $50 million, you may not necessarily be in the mood to spend 100 grand on a watch. Right? But what I'm seeing over the last year or two is stuff that just doesn't make sense. Everybody understands cyclical economies, right? In today's day and age, uh, you should see real estate dropping at a fast rate because the rates are going up. You should see the stock market dropping because we have officially reached recession, right? Two quarters of GDP going down equals recession, right? It's written in black and white. Uh, we also should see gold probably at $3,000 an ounce, right? I mean, these are all common sense things that you don't have to be a big finance guy to understand, right? It's basic economics. But yet what I'm seeing today is I'm seeing quite the opposite. I'm seeing quite the unusual in the markets. I'm seeing things that are out of the norm, right? At this point, everybody should be screaming bloody murder and there should be a lot of bad things happening, but yet they're not, right? Based on inflation, based on unemployment rates, based on GDP, all those things. But yet I'm seeing things that are just out of the ordinary. So with that said, I'm seeing the same thing within my market. And the only explanation that I have to that is the following. Uh, well, for one, our country has printed what they say, 40% of all money that's ever been printed were printed in the last two years. So there's a lot of money out there. And as much as that money was, some money was handed out to people, some money people have earned, but a lot of people made a lot of money in the last couple of years, a lot of money. If you were in business, any type of business, in the last two years, and you were not successful, you shouldn't be in business. And the reason I say that is because stuff was practically handed to you. With that said, I'm now looking at a situation where, yes, the mood is not there. Yes, all the telltale signs are there of stuff going bad, but yet people are not stopping to spend that money. Whether it is they're losing confidence in the U.S. dollar and they want to park their money elsewhere. But my theory is very simple. I think in the last two years, 
Uh, you have a lot of people out there that have made a significant amount of money and they already put away that money into traditional investments, i.e. your 401k, your savings account, a uh, little bit of real estate, a little bit of commodities, be gold, silver, platinum, uh, stock market, crypto is another one, right? Another outlier. And now they still have money left over. And I've preached for probably 20 years that watches are not an investment, they're an expensive toy. But what now what we're seeing is we're seeing a different type of asset that I like to dub as a passion asset, be it expensive art, expensive collective automobiles, uh, antiques, watches, and jewelry. And that's where I'm seeing more and more people are gaining confidence in these expensive toys, as I like to call them, as an actual true asset class and a place to park money. You got guys like JP Morgan, you got guys like Bloomberg, among other financial publications that are talking about a watch index. Never has watch market been referred to as an index. And it talks about the fact that the watch index has outperformed every other index out there. Now, don't kid yourself and don't go dumping a bunch of money into watches. As much as I would love for you to call me and buy a bunch of watches, you have to consider and use common sense, right? And that common sense will tell you that, you know, for something to be a true asset and a tradable commodity, you have to be able to quickly liquidate it like a stock market, like a stock, right? right. But with watches, it's not so simple. You have to instill a help of a guy like me or an auction house. But nevertheless, people more and more are willing to park money in what we call those passion assets. And when that happens, it does create a true market. And regardless of market conditions, it's going to do what every other index does. It's going to go up, it's going to go down, but it's going to be there to stay. Okay. So with that said, what would you say to your fellow business owner out there who is thinking about adding an additional revenue stream or that senior executive at Corporate America is decide, thinking about leaving their job and wanting to go out there and uh, start their own business? What would what would you be I saying? Think, I think them? two separate questions. I'll tackle the first one. And as far as side revenue streams, uh, my advice to any entrepreneur out there that has a business is to find a comparable business to yours. In fact, I'm out there right now looking to acquire smaller businesses such as mine, which are within the same industry. But I'm looking at it from a perspective of bringing something new to the table, i.e. going out to, to a guy that may specialize in particular brands or price range of product that I may not sell as much of to add to my revenue stream or someone that's geographically in a different country. Right. Uh, I mean, we have an office in Hong Kong. I've been looking for a company to acquire in Hong Kong. But uh, find comparable service products. The easiest example is a car manufacturer. Let's take Mercedes-Benz, right? I'm a big fan of Mercedes-Benz. I'm, I'm an F1 fan. I'm a Mercedes fan. Therefore, I drive Mercedes. With that said, uh, they have what you call regular service, right? Because once you sell a product, right? Once you sell that car, how else can you make money on that car? Well, the simplest example is you service that car every so often at an authorized Mercedes dealership. And therefore, that's how you continue making on a product that you sell. We can do the same thing with watches, which is right now I'm out there actively trying to either open or acquire a watch service center because that's a comparable product to what I do, mm -hmm. to which I can push my existing clientele. You're not going to see me go out there and open up an ice cream shop because I can't take advantage of what I've done in my existing business in order to get an ice cream shop going, if that makes sense. Okay, so, so, on, so on, that side, on that side, you're seeing this as an opportunity. You're not, exactly. you're, the, headwind, the headwinds are not scaring you away. You're just looking for different ways to expand your services and maybe businesses that complement them. Exactly. But at the same time, I'm looking to do that as a comparable add-on that also grows revenue that overall increases the overall value of my company. And that's really what I'm looking to do. Uh, now, for someone who is in corporate America and is trying to 
work for themselves. If you even have a thought in the back of your head that I would really like to go and work for myself, get out of corporate America and try something, my only advice to you is to drop everything and do it, right? And the reason for that is because, as I said earlier, once you figure out that you are working for yourself and no longer working for the man, as I like to say, you will never, ever go back. Yeah. Yeah, great, great, great advice. Uh, I think you're right. Once you get that, you taste that entrepreneur part of it, it's like you don't want to go back. Very good. Um, well, I guess one other question I want to ask you. Um, be, when you are a CEO, you have to keep yourself in line and motivated, incentivized, educated, learning. What do you, do you have certain practices, disciplines that you put in place to keep you yourself focused? Because you're, you're a leader of your company. Oh, there's a, a lot I take away from my previous work experience. And that goes back to being a busboy in the military or in a corporate environment. In my company, uh, there's sort of an unwritten rule policy, right? And that is we have the corporate structure minus the corporate politics with a family environment in mind. I am a big fan of uh, standard operating procedures, a military term called SOP, i.e. every sing single thing that's done within my company, be it from a person that puts products online to a person that packs boxes downstairs or does quality control, there's a little manual that's written or typed up, I should say, nowadays that says, hey, this is how you do your job from A to Z. However, at the same token, I don't just tell my employees, regardless of what position they may hold, I urge them and I almost demand it that they take, take the steps one through 10 that I have written up and my management staff has written up based on their experience and improve upon it. I expect my employees to come back and say, you know what, Roman, step number seven is really terrible. I think this is how it should be done. That's my expectations. That's what makes people feel as if they belong and they matter because I don't want to hire robots. I want to hire people that are part of that family environment and are going to treat their businesses as their own because this is still, like I said, it's a, it's a mom and pop shop that does have corporate structure, does have procedure, but minus the politics because I've seen my fair share of corporate politics and I hated it. Great. So using your military background, keeping those standard operating procedures in place, help you stay focused to navigate these crazy times. Okay. And the last and the last thing is that I lead by example. Till this day, with all the employees that are running around, I have an open door policy. There isn't a job in this building that I cannot do myself. Remember, I was the shipping, marketing, sales, yeah. content, programming department when I started this business. And I still have my hands in all those. I'm just lucky enough to have people here that we're able to take a lot of those tasks off my hands where I can oversee them. But again, don't crack the whip, lead by example. That's always been my thing. All right, one little tidbit, because you mentioned employees, I don't want to, I want to skip this. So many people are fighting this labor issue, okay? And I always say, if you solve the labor problem, you win the game. So how are you, you, how, how you, you doing on that? I'll tell you how I'm doing on that. In fact, I don't have a shortage of employees and I don't have a shortage of people that want to work here. And for one thing is, I always tell people like this, don't be greedy as an owner of a business, okay? Put a little less money in your pocket and a little more money in the pockets of those that work for you. Make it a comfortable work environment. Anybody here that works at Luxury Bazaar, uh, they have full medical, they have full dental, they have, uh, after after five years with the companies, they have uh, four weeks of paid vacation. We have unlimited sick days and unlimited personal days. Uh, we also match the 401k plan that we provide here. We do a lot of things to make it a comfortable place to work. And I'll be proud to tell you that 80% of my employees have been here 10 years plus, and they don't plan on leaving. 
Uh, as a perfect example, when COVID hit, what did everybody start doing? They started sending people on unemployment, right? In order to save money, it's no secret. Everybody took a hit for the first three, four months before business went booming, right? right. Uh, I actually took a pay cut for exactly one year. I took away 50% of everything that I took home in order to keep my people employed, whether they were sitting at home or doing what have you, because my whole thing was, again, family environment. If I were to send my people on unemployment, which I could have, and I would have been, I wouldn't have really struggled much because business was dead for the first four or five months, right? More or less. Uh, I did that because I didn't want them to lose their medical and dental benefits. Some of them have families, some of them have kids. So I took away from myself, literally, I cut my pay in half. Whatever I took home, I took it cut in half because my policy was, look, these are the people that have helped me make money all these years. Am I able to cut my pay in half in order to keep them on? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I did. And that's why these people are going to be here for a while. Treat them as family. Have your expectations. Have your rules set in place. Don't let them, you know, go haywire and get lazy. Have your expectations in place, but treat them like family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, definitely leading by example, and uh, my hats off to you for doing that. Okay, lastly, um, how can people get a hold of you, uh, follow you, get in touch with you, buy a watch from you? Well, it's very simple. You can Google my name, Roman Sharp, right? Or you go to YouTube, I'm Roman Sharp on YouTube, I'm Roman Sharp on Instagram, and my company is luxurybazaar.com. All right, great. Roman, thank you. It's just, I could go on for hours talking with you. I just love I love your, your attitude, your approach to business. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing your wisdom. Our listeners are on behalf of them are extremely grateful for you taking time out of your day to do that. And with that, I wish you the best. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me. Very good. And for all your listeners, this will be on uh, all the podcast platforms here in a couple of weeks. And you get a chance to maybe reach out to Roman and get a chance to uh, get to know him better as well. Have a great day. Rich LeBrun here. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast, Get It Done Entrepreneurs. If you are a successful business owner who would like to be on this program, please visit us at rlebrun.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form and we will reach out to you. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show. Include the hashtag GetItDoneEntrepreneurs. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, rlebrun.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.